You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Look, folks, we all know that ice climbing is a miserable, cold endeavor, punctuated by small spikes of joy, mostly when it's over. But if you're planning on heading to the famous ice park in Uray, Colorado, to climb out your self-loathing, why not up the joy ratio by staying in the Wiesbaden Hotel and Spa? Imagine, after your third round of screaming barfies, you can retire to their vapor cave and soaking pool for a, quote, strange, dark, steamy underworld soaking experience. The Wiesbaden is affordable luxury in Ure. In fact, if you climb in Ure and don't stay there, you are totally blowing it. Discounts all winter. Go to wiesbadenhotsprings.com for more information. Once again, that's vspaddenhotsprings.com. It's really the only way you'll find me ice climbing. Does your partner suffer from try-it-again syndrome? Or one-hangitis? Or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end, and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain, a stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BMP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs, and when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about belay specs. Keep talking about belay specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter EnormaCast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not. Old trad climbers rolling their eyes. People putting them off for the first time and saying, ooh, that's trippy. People insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with belay specs. And it's more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after far too many caipirinhas. Belayspecs.com. Say adeus to belayer neck pain. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... The Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show.
That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Four years of the Enorma Cast. Just you and the Enorma Cast cuddled gently together on your travels, at home, in your office, wherever you need the Enorma Cast. It's there for you for four long years. This is your host, Chris Calouse. Welcome to episode 95 of the Enorma Cast. It is December 17th, about 11 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. On today's show, German rock star badass Stefan Glovax. But since it's the Royal Wee's birthday, let's talk a little bit about the Enorma Cast. The four years of the Enorma Cast, 95 episodes of the Enorma Cast. Why not 96? Do the math. Four times 24 is 96, right? Hold on. Carry the one. Yeah, it's 96, but I'm at 95 because I skipped one one month a long time ago. I didn't have anything. It was Christmas time. Nobody was around. I couldn't just hit up my neighbors, my climbing neighbors, to come on the show. So January showed up, and I took a little break and only put out one show. And now it breaks my heart because I'd have a perfect record if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't slacked. But yeah, I've been pounding out two episodes a month almost for four years, which is really hard to believe. It's fucking crazy, actually. Our listenership is solid and our community is solid and uh, it feels pretty good. So yeah, happy birthday to me and the Enormacast, the royal we over here at the Enormacast. Happy birthday, happy anniversary. This is the last interview in a bunch of interviews that I picked up at the trade show way back in August. And I'm actually going to change my intros up because, A, I double intro sometimes, which is stupid. Plus, I reveal a little too much about uh, the time frame when I'm getting these things because otherwise, there really wouldn't be any indication. For all you guys know, Stefan Glovax is right here in my living room slash kitchen as we speak. He could be sleeping on my couch right now or rummaging in the refrigerator for some bratwurst. The deal is, is that for the first couple of years of the Enormacast, I was pretty desperate for content because I couldn't just call up anybody or email anybody and have them know who the hell I was or what it was all about. That's kind of changed these days. But, you know, I still am in that mode where I'm always just like looking for somebody, asking as many people as I can to come on the show. And uh, at the last trade show, I kind of overdid it. I'll be honest with you. I got too many. I did too many. And, uh, you know, burned myself out just a little bit. Plus, we're still listening to these things from way back in August. Anyhow, why am I telling you all this? I don't know. I just feel like it because it's my birthday. This one's kind of a special one because this was a kind of a bonus that I hadn't planned on. I was almost ready to leave. I ran into my friend Glenn at camp, and Glenn introduced me to Stefan because he was in the same booth uh, with his red chili shoes, and I fawned all over the guy uh, as as... Maybe I've mentioned on the show before, at the end of each day at OR, it's like free beer time. Everybody starts handing out free beer. So I'm always there to get free beer. So I'd had a couple beers. There's Stefan Glovox. And this guy, you know, he was a big deal when I started climbing. He's still a big deal, actually, as you'll find out. But he plays, he's one of these guys that plays into the mythology of my early days as a climber. Even though I wasn't a sport climber and actually thought it was kind of dumb, at the time, this guy still blew my mind when his book Rocks Around the World came out. As I say in the interview, there's a bunch of people about my age that just perked up because they're like, I have that book somewhere. I'm going to go dig it out. Anyway, you can still buy them on Amazon.com for cents on the dollar. So you should check it out. Rocks Around the World. We talk about it in the interview. So anyhow, Glenn is nice enough to tell Stefan that I have this podcast. And Stefan right away is like, I'll do a podcast. That sounds totally cool. Except for he has a German accent. So he didn't exactly sound like that. But so the problem is, is that I checked out of my hotel, which is where I normally do these things. And now I'm like free ranging around. I got nowhere to go, but I set it up. The show is closing down and basically the salt palace, like rearrange itself completely for the next thing. So as Stefan and I are talking, they are literally taking apart the room that we're in. Like they're starting to unscrew the walls and move them around and like pack up desks and chairs and everything else. So the sound is a little bit funky on this one, but I got it cleaned up pretty good. I think it works out just fine. We did get interrupted a few times, which sort of messed with the flow, but I took all those out as well, which is part of that magic of editing. But yeah, there's a little bit of a of a chunkiness to the flow on this one. But nevertheless, Stefan Glovox, 
I'll do what it takes. I got to get this guy on tape. He was gracious. He was nice. He was a lot of fun. Still German, though. You know, still German. Got to keep that in mind. They have a certain sensibility, a certain bluntness to them. Anyhow, this was a really great show for me to get because, again, this guy was a big deal when I started climbing. Basically about the biggest deal in the world. And though I'd lost track of him myself, I'd come to find out he's still kicking ass all over the world. Go online, look him up. There's some great videos. This guy's a pro. He makes a good video. And of course, with Red Bull throwing money at him, you're going to get a certain production value for sure. Anyhow, let's get to the interview here. But before I do that, I want to make sure and thank everybody that's been on board. Some of you OG Enorma casters have been on board since the thing came out, maybe even before from the old one. And I want to thank anybody who's out there listening, who's enjoying the show, reviewing it, donating to it, posting it, telling your friends about it. All those things have kept this thing alive for four years. In fact, the support has been so strong. The only thing that has ever threatened its existence has been my laziness. But you guys keep me stoked. You guys keep me getting after it. And I appreciate that. So once again... Happy four-year anniversary to everybody out there listening. Can I do four more? Oh, God. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I got five more episodes to 100, so got that to look forward to. All right, let's get to it. Conversation with German superstar Stefan Glowax. Last one at the OR show, the last interview that I'm getting, I lucked out and happened to run into Stefan Globax. Is that more or less a good English-German version Absolutely. of your last name? So uh, I pronounce it uh, Glovatz. How are you doing? Your show go okay? We're right at the end of it. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. It's always cool to to get to the OR show because um, you meet old friends. Like mm-hmm. uh, today, I was climbing with, with Russ Kloon, and and that's great. I love it uh, to meet these guys from the old days. And uh, it is not that busy. Then uh, we have the show also in Europe. The um, 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 the outdoor show it's it's more busy for us there sure. but uh, but here it's um, yeah it was a re- really good business uh, really good contacts and I think uh, we're doing very well over there with Red Chili it's interesting you said you climbed with Russ today He's he's been on the show and actually a lot of what he talked about was, was the old days going and climbing in the early climbing competitions in Europe and, and meeting you and Wolfgang and, and the whole crew over there. So that was awesome stories. Yeah, yeah. Back in yeah, the yeah. So we had we spent uh, a really good time together, um, especially because uh, Russ was um, many times in Europe because of the competitions. And so we hang out together and um, when we when we traveled together and when we competed um, uh, together, so it was not like uh, he was a, a opponent. Uh, he was a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. so everyone tried his best. But uh, at the end, uh, at the end of the day, uh, who won had to pay the bill. Right. <laughs> Perfect. That's that's pretty standard kind of kind of uh, operation in the United States too. So <laughs> it must be worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I read a little bit about your bio uh, beginning to climb. It sounded uh, sounded kind of normal. You started as part just what your family did together in the mountains. Did you grow up directly in the mountains? Yeah, my parents are absolutely uh, fascinated uh, mountaineers they're never climbed uh, in their life and um, so but my sister and I we grew up in the mountains and every single weekend we had to go with my parents in the mountains and uh, uh, even when we couldn't even walk properly uh, they took us there and um, I think it was very important time because I created the instincts you need um, when you do later on your own expeditions and so instinct like the weather conditions maybe like like uh, risk uh, management and stuff all stuff like that you can't create when you're older you have to create that when you're very young when you're a kid uh, because um, you get the sense of uh, of uh, of the feeling uh, what's going on around you and uh, especially and this is most important that you realize that the nature will always be stronger than you 
you never can uh, work against it. Mm -hmm. And um, and also you get a sense that you have to protect the nature because it's um, the most important um, uh, thing we have mm -hmm. in our life, every single person. Right. So as you got into climbing on your own, let's say, and, and probably somewhere transitioned into technical climbing using ropes mm -hmm. and things, because it sounded more like, you know, it was sort of high-level hiking up in the mountains with your folks and that kind of thing. Competitions then, though, which is something that you're sort of well-known for as being an early competitor, but those were mostly outside at that time, weren't they, on, mm -hmm. on rock? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when I grew up uh, as a climber, so I started climbing when I in the age of 12. Um, this was very early at that uh, at that time. Uh, it's not it's not uh, so when you're 12 years old now you climb already uh, uh, 513, right. 514. So it was a different time. So but anyway, but um, and uh, we had no climbing gyms. Uh, when you started climbing, you live close to a climbing area or um, you get influenced by by another climber and so it became quite obvious that I be become a climber because I was fascinated by the mountains I was fascinated by the big walls because uh, sometimes we hiked around uh, in the Dolomites and I was standing below the face and said oh god I have I want to be up there too and um, and my parents they made everything to um, to get me into climbing, so mm -hmm. I made a course in, in, a, in, in a German Alpine club, and then I went to the mountain patrol, and they took me uh, every single weekend up to the mountains. But climbing was always an adventure mm -hmm. at the beginning. It was not a kind of sport, or uh, I was not so much attracted by the sportive challenge, but because of the, the ability to choose my own goals mm -hmm. and to be and to take over responsibility because uh, uh, when you're young, 12 years old, it's it's not it's not common that you have to uh, accept a certain uh, responsibility uh, for the risk level you 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 wanna you you wanna accept or um, also the responsibility for your partner mm -hmm. uh, because you're responsible uh, when you belaying him. Right. So this was uh, this was very very exciting for me and so. Climbing was at the beginning first an adventure, and um, so I spent most of my time climbing um, in the Alps. I went every single weekend up to the hut, and then uh, we, we climbed around there. and uh, And then later on, of course, um, I got the first. Uh, I saw the first pictures of Wolfgang Gulli, Kurt Albert, and uh, there was an international uh, climbing festival held by uh, organized by Spot Check, where all the big guys, uh, Ron Fawcett, uh, showed up, and, and John Baker as well. And uh, he was oh, right. he was like a like. A, a person from the from another universe because with long hairs, um, he had the headband on, always glasses, always headphones the, on. The California so, guy. Yeah, yeah and right. so, wow, this is a cool guy. We want to be like him. And so, this was the first time that I really saw sport climbing, okay. and I was just blown away. I said, No, this is not possible. Nobody can hang on this holds. And so, and from one day to the other. I changed completely my mind, and the climbing became a sportive challenge for me. So, and I always then at the beginning com tried to combine it um, um, that all the routes I've done by eight in the, in the mountains, uh, I free climbed it. Okay. And uh, so um, this was the beginning of my free climbing career, and then we moved more than to the uh, sport climbing areas, Frankenjura and Pfalz, uh, instead of going in the mountains. And um, this was exactly the time when I became really, really fit. And it was the time where the first competition was held in Bardonecchia, 85. I went there, um, I had no idea what's going on there, and they've been all my heroes, mm -hmm. all my role models like Wolfgang Gurley, Jerry Moffat, all the French guys. Uh, there was uh, Ron Kauk, uh, so it was just like, like uh, all my rock stars been sure, there, and sure. and uh, so 
yeah, and I competed against them. Mm -hmm. So it couldn't be better. And right. uh, so I watched him climbing and uh, I was very motivated. And so I won this competition against everyone. <laughs> and uh, so this was the beginning of my, of my uh, sport climbing career because yeah. I, I had no pressure at all. Yeah, these guys had a lot of pressure because they had already a big name in the scene. And uh, so I was just climbing and uh -huh. did my best. And uh, it turned out it was great. <laughs> right. And you, you're uh, about five years older than I am. Um, 65, you were born, I think. Yeah. Is that right? And that, so contemporary, I mean, you're about the same age as, as Wolfgang was, or Kurt no, Albert's a little older? I was a bit, uh, was a bit younger. Okay. So Kurt uh, was older, uh, almost 10 years, and, oh, okay. uh, and um, Wolfgang maybe eight years. And these guys, so you, you go to this comp, and there's all these these guys. Russ was there too, I yeah. believe. Um, did, and you compete against them and you end up beating them. And yet, were they accepting to you? Be, you know, were you like the hotshot kid and they're like, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because uh, from one moment to the other, uh, I, was, I was the role model of the new generation. Okay. Yeah, because uh, it, it, it was like a situation that um, the whole scene was just waiting for events like that. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, sport climbing was getting more and more popular, and uh, and we always, they always tried already if, to find a, um, a way to compete uh, um, against against each other. And uh, so this was competitions in, in climbing has absolutely no history. Mm -hmm. So this was the beginning of a completely new generation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and a, a new, um, uh, it was a milestone in climbing because sure. uh, with the competition and uh, when they realized that when they don't uh, adapt the nature into an artificial wall concept, um, Competition won't then held any any longer because right. uh, um, you don't find uh, these places where you can where you can co uh, do the competitions on that. Sure, rock. yeah, and, and I think even Russ mentioned that you know some of these places were, were like chipping new routes for the yeah. competitions. Yeah, yeah. And things so like they that. designed the routes and yeah. they chipped the routes, and uh, when that you go there last, now, yeah. it's it's like uh, uh, to these places uh, you still um, in some places you still can climb these competition routes. Right, they have been completely uh, um, uh, artificial. Mm -hmm. and and um, so a, ho a whole new generation was, uh, was getting born, and I was a role model. Uh, and for me and for many other climbers um, in, my, in my age, uh, was it a possibility to, to make a living uh, for your passion? Mm -hmm. and, this was, uh, and this was just a dream come true. Uh, sure. Because you said, okay, wow, uh, there I, I, get, I get money from from a sponsor, I, I, not just uh, a harness and not just a rope. Now I get my shoes for free, wow, and, yeah, uh, right. and now they pay for my trip. And uh, so what is, it was living from hand uh, to mouth. And, uh, and every single week you said, okay, maybe I can survive another week uh, mm -hmm. as a climber. And uh, because I always had the chance to go back to my, to my job, I'm a tool maker. Okay. Um, and um, so I was, I was uh, in, a, in this job for, um, at, at this time. So I make my money f to do a proper job. And I had always a chance to go back. And I, I was free just to try and sure. to survive. Right. And uh, then the next competition came up and, and I said, okay, when I win this competition, I make so much money, then I can survive one month right. and so it was just thinking from one day to the other mm -hmm. and this was the best time uh, as a climber in my life right. because I had no responsibility uh, I was just getting paid for uh, climbing that I can hang uh, better than anyone else on small little holes right. <laughs> and so and yeah this was this was just a dream and everything was just flowing and uh, came to me uh, right. like um, they offered me a contract so okay I, I was able to choose contracts uh, because everybody wanted to be in this game in this sure. competition game and I was the first one who won the uh, then uh, later on a lot of competitions and uh, so I became the testimonial for right yeah for the poster competition, boy we might the poster say, boy yeah, yeah for for competition climbing you know, this was a time where you were going to these these. Art, I mean, they started to be artificial wall competitions, mm. but but there was no such thing as sort of training 
on artificial walls because they, they probably built them for the comps and, and that was it. So you're generally just climbing outdoors as training, just climbing every day. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So we in the States, or at least, you know, when I met you yesterday and I was fawning all over you, I apologize. Um, happens i had a, had a couple of beers um but anyway very much we, fun we uh you know i mentioned the book the rocks around the world mm. book and if anybody who cl- climbed in the 90s and i have a lot of listeners that are, that are of that age they just perked up because they know this book it was it was this coffee table book uh who was the partner on it i read uh, it that's uh, Oli, Oli Wiesmeyer, yeah. the photographer the photographer yeah and i mean this incredibly vibrant photo book of you know as it says rocks around the world from mm. you know japan to all over europe to the united states the south day walls in there we mm. just remembered um all sorts of stuff and i just that book was we joked earlier walking up here that it was like the internet before the internet because mm. you could click on the photos which meant turning the page and just one after another and and uh how did that come about and and you know you you laugh when I bring it up because I think you understand like sort of this influence it almost had. And the other question is, do you have any of those outfits still? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Let's say start with the outfit. I I, I had a because uh, um, if you do, uh, you could probably eBay them for a huge, lot of money. Huge bag, huge bag full of lycras. And uh, <laughs> so especially when we shooted this um, this book, um, every time so we said, okay, now we need a lot of lycras because uh, each picture has to be a different one. And so it was uh, the high time of uh, of the tights and, and the lycras and and it is it, it is horrible and uh, <laughs> just the idea that uh, lycras are coming back for girls it's gorgeous it's oh, great yeah. I, I love exactly girls in in lycras but uh, but uh, if men starting uh, climbing in lycras again so I would pay them not to wear them. <laughs> uh, but um, don't make the same mistake yeah, please. I made. No, no, <laughs> don't make the same mistakes. Yeah, but um, as you said before, I I was into uh, competitions, but I was still an, a natural climber. Uh, um, so climbing in the nature, this was uh, fascinating me, and I never trained uh, for in my competition career on on artificial rock, or even when they uh, built the first uh, climbing gyms and never trained there. I was always going out and and and, uh, and climbed in the nature, and. As I said before, it was already the beginning of the connection uh, between uh, adventure and um, and the sportive challenge, and so um, I met Oli Wiesmeyer, and um, he became a very famous photographer, outdoor photographer at this time. So we built up um, together our career mm-hmm. because I was climbing and he was doing the the, the photos. So we traveling, so we we lived like a like a couple. We spent so much time together uh, uh, traveling to the certain climbing areas and uh, he was very focused to make the best pictures ever made in climbing and he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first, before the competition I climbed uh, the route to face, uh, maybe the, one of the hardest routes in the world uh, of Jerry Moffat in, in, in Germany. Okay. And. Um, Uli was choosing a completely different perspective uh, of uh, making the pictures. And uh, so I've been, before I became a a competition climber, I was on many covers also in the States. And um, I can remember um, there was a subtitle where they asked, who is this young German climber uh, who takes a ride to climb to uh, repeat the route of the great Jerry Moffat. So oh, sure. this was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, very funny. And I think the new uh, view of climbing uh, through these pictures, um, the traveling and uh, to to unknown areas in Japan and Australia, all over the oh, world. That's right. The whole Arapiles thing in there. Yeah, the whole Arapiles, exactly. yeah. and uh, so I was able to climb the hardest route in the world at this time. So repeated. Uh, um, punks in the gym. Mm-hmm. This was the hardest route in the world at this time. So I opened with Lord of the Rings, uh, another uh, one of the hardest routes in the world, and, and stuff like that. And uh, which became more famous because of John Sherman. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with the funny picture. <laughs> with the drinking yeah, yeah, beer. Yeah, that's and so cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and let's say and and um, Uli was always there to to um, make 
to, to make a document out of it mm -hmm. and, and so to, to, to show it. And so when we came back from a trip, we had always pictures to show in magazines and stuff like that. So we became, he as a photographer, me as a climber, mm -hmm. uh, both uh, more and more popular because uh, we, we've been a, a perfect, uh, perfect team. Right. And so, and then we came up with the idea, we say, oh, hey, we're traveling so much. So let's make a book out of that mm -hmm. because uh, we make so many pictures and it would be a shame not to make a book. Then we found a publisher and uh, Uli was, he knew exactly how the book has to look like and uh, he made all the layout and all the, the editing and stuff like that. I was writing the, the stories and uh, so then Rocks Around the World came up and and it was a huge success all over the world uh, because, as you mentioned before, there was no internet before. Um, there was uh, um, no YouTube, nothing. So uh, the only, the, it was the, the only tool you had as a climber to get inspired. Mm -hmm. and, and this was great. So we've been, like I was um, at the beginning of the competition, we've been together with this book on the right time, on the right spot. Right. Have you ever, th th I thought about this today, I actually, if anybody wants one, they're for sale still, uh, I just I just looked on Amazon.com, there's plenty of them on there, so, yeah. I mean, it's not in print anymore, I would no, imagine, no, so, it's, it's but done. yeah, there's plenty of, I actually ordered one today, cool. because I, I was thinking, I don't know where mine is, I haven't seen it in a long yeah, time, so, yeah. I might have two now, once yeah, that one cool. comes, but, <laughs> have you ever thought about making a uh, follow-up? No, I think it's it's not oh, the time for that because um, uh, no, I, f I, I I did one. Uh, okay. I d uh, let's say I did a follow up, uh, but now uh, but uh, uh, um, a book about my my new life as a climber is um, it called uh, the, the book called Expedition. So it's um, it's a book, um, a beautiful book. We sell tons of it um, in Europe, okay. but we c we didn't find um, um, American a publisher, publisher because oh, okay. it's a it's a book about very unique uh, expeditions and uh, so beautiful pictures, super inspiring for many, many people because uh, there uh, I speak about competition. Also, it, it's a coffee table book. It's a picture book. And um, it's about Baffin Island uh, sailing uh, into Antarctica, um, uh, um, making the first overland approach in the circle of the Climbables and climbing or trying to climb um, uh, Garushanka South Face in Nepal and and beautiful uh, pictures and a very successful book in Europe but we couldn't find a publisher in the states so if you're interested in what, what's <laughs> it called uh, expeditions okay just very simple expedition cool and that's actually a great segue because that book I mean it was must have been in like early 90s, 92, yeah. 91, 92, something like that. And so the, here is this guy who's, you know, it's mostly sport climbing in there. Um, although the Rapalis is adventure climbing, there's the famous photo, which you reminded me of, of hanging off the lip yeah. of Kachung, which if it hadn't yet, if people weren't doing that yet, it basically anyone who leads that route has to one arm hang off of the lip. Absolutely. Yeah. Although we use, most of us usually have a rope on now. So um, you're barefoot, great pair of, Blue, a red and white striped lycra. Yeah. Right. Like you Good could, memory. You Good could memory. E you could eBay, though. <laughs> I'm telling you, you could raise money somehow. Absolutely. Like for, maybe for yeah. charity if you, you can still imagine had them. Too, yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, so, and then also in a lot of ways, especially in the States, the early 90s, you know, sport climbing existed in a few different places. We were, I think, late to adapt it, mostly because we don't have a ton of limestone. You guys are mm -hmm. faced in Europe with what are we going to yeah. do with all this crackless rock? And that's kind of where bolting probably, you know, was the impetus. Mm. Like, what if we wanted to climb out there on yeah. that face, you know? So the early 90s, and, and I just remember, too, like, that was also an education. Like, wow, look at, you know, this is sport climbing. Like, this is yeah. what it looks like. And it looks awesome, you know, a lot of it. Although, like, the Salates in there, you made an early attempt on that. It had been freed by then. No. No, it had no, not. Um, oh, it was when the book came out, but it probably yeah, was shot earlier. So we, when we tried it, uh, um, we met um, Todd Skinner um, then in Smith Rocks. And uh, we've been on the route before we met him in Smith Rocks and, uh, and couldn't, couldn't do it. And uh, so um, then we met 
uh, Totskina there and uh, talking to chatting a little bit and and then I, I mentioned that uh, we are we're going to uh, free climb the Salati I said no you can't do that we are on it and uh, so uh, and then in this moment I, I just I, I knew that uh, he is already working on it right so during that time we, we uh, because they, they couldn't they couldn't do the pendulum so and uh, and I uh, and I bolted this uh, traverse oh, uh, right. this downturn climb um, Down, uh, by the the hollow flake yeah to uh, right. to the hollow flake mm -hmm. to the beginning of the hollow flake so and I thought all right so when this is al already the crux and when people are struggling to do that uh, maybe we can do uh, the upper part but it, it turned out it's 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 much harder up there sure and so at the end um, Todd Skinner climbed it I I hope he climbed it and then uh, Alex Huber uh, uh, climbed it too but uh, in, in this when, when we tried it uh, we knew that it's not possible without a huge effort right uh, rehearsing every single pitches especially the head wall and uh, I didn't want to spend so much time in, mm -hmm. in, in one route that was a mistake uh, I should, you should. Um, yeah maybe but so but but um, you know that's life, and someone else did it. And because I was ready, um, okay. And then I stopped my competition career uh, with 1993 uh, oh, early, in the okay. World Championship in Austria in Innsbruck. Because one year before, I, a friend of mine, who always had to belay me when I was training for the competition, I had to promise him once um, to join him uh, doing a first ascent in Wilder Kaiser. That's in the Austrian Alps, okay. and I said, "All right, okay, now I, I go with you." You're belaying me. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. I, I, I belay to you. And so when we started this first ascent, it was it was a for me it was a eye, an eye opener. So th this um, this first ascent was an eye opener for me because it was always what I what I'm looking for the combination of uh, the um, sportive challenge and adventure. It was in the Alps. It was not such a big adventure, but uh, just climbing in an ocean of uh, of rock, not knowing what, what's uh, what's going on up there, and uh, and just touching holes and and and, and footholds and never been touched by any other climbers before. That was amazing. Okay. And so we established the Emperor's New Clothes, uh, and it was uh, for a long time the hardest multi-pitch uh, sport climb in the world. Um, it, uh, 8B, 8B plus, uh -huh. uh, very very hard, 514. And um, so I was so psyched to do more of this. Uh, climbing that I stopped one year later in my competition career to combine okay. it even the adventure and the, the sporty challenge in in one expedition sure so by mistake or like as a favor yeah it's a favor you'd like change your life completely. absolutely yeah 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 I knew that I uh, would have done that uh, maybe a couple of years later uh, sure. but but this was uh, really exactly in the moment where I said hey this is this is exactly what I'm searching for. Mm -hmm. Because after eight years of competition climbing, you're losing focus. Mm -hmm. uh, because all the young kids coming up, and then there was uh, Francois Legrand, he's, he was already the next uh, generation. And uh, so then you try to, to fight against them, and, yeah. and, uh, but you know your time will come. Yeah, because you were that kid, yeah, right? And uh, at the first one. And I wanted to s always to stop before before my time was definitely over. Yeah, sure. and so, okay, no, right. I stopped. Stop on top. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, and that's cool because that's what I wanted to know about was this transition back maybe to, you know, kind of your attitude when you were a kid in the big mountains um, and you, you sort of flipped on a dime to, to become this sport climber and this, and this uh, competition climber. So now you're back to these expeditions. So when you do decide on expedition and you just listed a bunch earlier of the some of the things you've done which is insane um actually let me let me backtrack is that you know as i grew up in climbing and you know the the rocks on the world got dustier and dustier and and uh put away for a while and then all of a sudden as the internet did explode and and climbing became on the internet mm -hmm. it was like oh look you know, Stefan Glovax, or whatever we say when we didn't know yeah. how to pronounce it, is like climbing big mountains now. And, you know, the European scene is out of our sight in a lot of ways in the States, especially yeah. then, yeah. before the Internet. 
So it was, it was kind of like, oh, he disappeared. And he was a, uh, he's a sport climber. I remember that book. Oh, yeah, he tried yeah. the Salte, whatever. But he mostly sport climbed. Yeah. And then here you are, like, crusted with ice or whatever it happens to be. So it was like a real revelation to me to see that all of a sudden. And um, kind of what I wanted to ask was, now that you, you mentioned how it happened, is what for you are sort of the elements, you know, when you decide or you were in that era of like, well, the world is is open to me. You know, I'm a successful climber. I can do whatever mm. I want. What were the elements you looked for in terms of these adventures or, you know, is there, is there, can you talk about any sort of philosophy that really decides where, where and what it was you wanted to do? Yeah. Um, I think it was just going back to my roots because when I was very young, I was always fascinated not by uh, role models like um, big climbers like Walter Bonatti or uh, Reinhard Messner. It was always the big adventurers, Scott Nansen, Franklin, Scott, um, and, and, and Shackleton and uh, so I was fascinated by, by their stories and um, then I was crawling under my bed and then I, I built my own boat and, and uh, I was on the ocean for weeks uh, in my mind and so this, is, this had a l- strong influence uh, when I was young and, um, and then uh, Canada was always uh, like, like my dream uh, and, and then when the time came, uh, I, I said, I, I want to go to Canada. I want to go to the Cirque of the Unclimbables. Um, I want to make the first overland approach there on the South Nahani River to combine adventure. Uh, I've I always been fascinated with uh, the sportive challenge. And uh, so we created a um, completely new style of expedition climbing, called it by fair means, from last point of civilization without any technical support under our own steam going to the to the mountains establish a very hard first ascent there and then um, returning back in civilization uh, also without any any okay. further help and so we went uh, under this aspect we went to to, to Greenland uh, with sea kayaks. Uh, we went twice to Baffin Island one, uh, one time with sea kayaks to go in this, uh, Ellington Fjord, the other time with uh, sledges and snow kites in the northern part of, of Pond Inlet. So it was really always connected with pure adventure. I was always fascinated by remote and unexplored areas. So when you say we, who's we? It was always a team yeah. around me. So I mean, did you for your contemporaries, yeah, let's say uh, many of this expedition I've done with Kurt Albert okay. because he was my role model when I was young, and uh, every time I was competition climber, and uh, every time when we meet each other, uh, so we said, okay, we have to do something together, and okay. Said, okay, when I stop my competition career, then we do expeditions. So he got over being beat by you. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had a, such a good time, well. and they learned a lot from uh, from Kurt, and it was very ashamed that he when he died mm-hmm. but um, um, but let's say I, I was always independent and that's the reason why I started uh, 20 years ago um, my own company together with my friend Uwe and uh, because I never wanted to have the feeling that I have to go climbing so then we founded Red Chile because I, um, I wanted to be always uh, independent uh, regarding the income uh, anytime uh, that someone uh, will tell me uh, what I have to do as a climber. Uh, I I want always to to judge by myself uh, where and when I want to do something. And um, that turned out very, very good. So because all my climbing was never, ever influenced by any sponsor. And uh, it was always my own choice. And I was very lucky and a great opportunity that uh, you always have partners follow you ideas and say, okay, you want to do this? Hey. Uh, we finance it, and that's a cool story. That's a cool goal, and go for it. Right. Uh, we we'll wish you good luck. Uh, here's the money. And this, uh, so let's say, when I'm looking back so far to my career, I have to say I had a, I have a wonderful life. Yeah, you seem as though, uh, yeah, you seem as though, you you you've got the right sense of appreciation for maybe the opportunities that others oh, yeah. sort of sort of helped you with as well. Uh, absolutely, and and I'm I have to say I'm very very thank- uh, thankful for all the the chances I had and the the time I I was able to spend in the mountains uh, with my family. And so, uh, if someone would ask me what I would change in my next life I and this is my priori um, philosophy I want to I, I want to say 
I would do everything exactly in the same way I right. did. So, you know, you like just listed, well, like I said earlier, I, I don't know, in conversation, you kind of hit a bunch of different things that you had done that, you know, in, in 12 seconds, you did, you listed like a lifetime of most people's climbing. And that was probably this little moment yeah. in, in your world. Is there a, a climb, an expedition that either stands out as like a, a proud achievement or even just stands out as it, it was perfect and it fit all those things that you mm. want out of out of out of these sorts of things. Yeah, there's one expedition. Uh, it fits completely in 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 my way of thinking as an uh, expedition climber. So that's that was the perfect uh, the perfect expedition. Um, so we went to Cerro Uh It's south of um, Cerro Torre and Fitzroy on the Patagonian Inland Ice. It's a very remote mountain and it's a beautiful wall. Casimiro Ferrari was there first and, and climbed the amazing ridge. And uh, also he said, uh, and he's done a lot of very hard first ascents in, in Patagonia. He said, okay, uh, when uh, maybe uh, Fitzroy uh, was the hardest route and uh, maybe um, Serratore was one where I had to uh, suffer most, then Serratore is the most challenging mountain I've, I've ever done. And so we went there and uh, it took us three years, um, my partner and I, um, Robert Jasper, uh, to climb this enormous, uh, more than 1,000 meter high um, north face. And um, it's up to 513 uh, free climbing and, and of course A climbing because of the icy cracks. And two times we had to return because the weather was just horrible and we were sitting there completely by our own, no hut, no, no protection, and uh, we fight it sometimes for our life. And so every time when we came back, friends told us, hey, all right, now maybe you, uh, you know that this is impossible, so uh, maybe you're searching for something easier. Uh, and uh, said, no, no, this is our dream. This is what we want to do. And what I learned from this expedition, when you have a vision, you have to stick to it. When you, when you really wanted to do it, then you have to fight for it, even mm -hmm. against uh, other, uh, how do you say, um, advices right, from, right. from uh, your family. Peer and, pressure. Uh, you know, yeah, yes. and so now this is the way I want to follow, and, and I, uh, I'm 100% sure that I can do that. And I learned that on, on, on this expedition. Then mm -hmm. when you really have a dream, when you really want to make a dream come true, then you have to fight for it. Sure. Not just on the wall, also um, in, your, uh, in your relation and uh, to other people. Robert Jasper is your partner. Were you, in, you know, we hear from you right now how focused you were. You, were you able to, like, keep each other on track, too? Or was there ever any time when he was just like, look... I'm, I'm over this. Yeah, no, uh, we, we got uh, very well along together mm -hmm. at, at, at this trip because we just, um, uh, at the end, if you just the two of us. Uh, but Robert is, is a guy who just, he, he's not a team player, let's say. He's, he's all right when, when, um, when you're two, uh, when it is the two of you. Um, making an um, uh, expedition like that, but um, a couple of years later we went together to Baffin Island and it was a bigger group because uh, we made a documentary sure. uh, there, uh, also a cameraman and a photographer and stuff like that. And uh, he didn't get uh, along uh, with this situation very well, right. so it took us a lot of energy to finish the expedition in a in a almost good mood. So okay. we had our our fights, we had our uh, arguments um, nearly every day on the way back. And so, because he he's not a person to 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 function in a in a bigger group because mm -hmm. he always wants to wants to make the decisions. Right. And uh, so, because in, in a bigger group you have to say, okay, no one knows uh, the way. Uh, so what we should do. So right. and the one said, okay, we go right. The other ones say we go left. Uh, maybe three guys are uh, deciding to go left and, and one guy is deciding to go right. So, okay, now you go left. Right. <laughs> of course. Yeah. It's, it's a democracy. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he, it was very hard dictator, to accept that. Right. And, yeah, he's a, almost a dictator. Yeah. And, uh, well, and also I think, you know, if, 
in, not in a major way, but there's definitely compromises to be made with a film crew. Absolutely, you know, yeah, to, yeah. To do yeah. what needs to be done. But if you want to be a professional climber, uh, yeah. it's a part of the game. Yeah, sure. So back to the, the, the thing in Patagonia. It took three years, multiple expeditions. Or multiple times going yeah. in, once a year, or did you go both seasons? No, we uh, we went there um, at least every every year in a row, uh, almost three months three months um, each trip. Okay. So, and this is uh, because we had to carry a lot of equipment in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's uh, it's a f it's a long approach, uh, a couple of days. Sure. And so you're completely on your own, no no porters, nothing. And uh, so the wall is still unrepeated. Uh, we call this route gone with the wind. Okay. And um, so it's an amazing, amazing climb. And in the whole wall, more than uh, 2,300 uh, meters um, climbing, very, very hard climbing, very, very steep and overhanging. Uh, we didn't place one single bolt. And uh, this is great. And this is absolutely great. So that's totally cool. I mean, you, again, you came from the sport climbing competition thing and, and you know, full circle to like, yeah. let's not, if we, can, if we can pull it off, let's not place any bolts. Yeah. And That's this totally was awesome. the goal. This was the goal. So even uh, on the belays, there is not one single bolt. It's so, all natural gear. I don't know if you can even uh, describe it or remember. So, you know, even with smaller versions of this in my own life or whatever, big root climbs and that tax you or that you have to come back for or, you know, even red pointing to a certain extent, there always feels like it's a slightly anticlimactic finish to the whole thing like okay well we just you know beat our heads against this thing until we got to the top and let's get out of here or whatever so you climb it not necessarily summit and come down you know certainly some type of an obsession to this thing mm. to operating so you know what were your feelings afterwards were you able to maintain this like elation or was there like a you know no god, when thank god it's over or yeah when yeah. when it, when it was over we <laughs> we always thought my my, my god uh what is this it, what must be this for feeling too when every when you when you stay up there and the whole thing is done and uh, so when we came back to civilization, we've been very tired, and uh, I was getting more and more frustrated because uh, I thought I'd get more and more happy that this is over. Mm -hmm. But I, I got very frustrated, and uh, uh, I had no idea why. And then I talked to a uh, psychologist, and, oh, really? uh, and uh, he gave... He, he gave me a very, very simple um, uh, explanation. He said, you know, your whole life, the last three years, was just circling around this one goal. And it was super intense. Maybe it was the most intense goal in your life. And, uh, and now, suddenly, when you, when you finish it, when you stay on top, then this goal is gone. And uh, you're falling in a deep hole uh, then because our life is always uh, searching for goals. Mm -hmm. You always set goals and you, you try to reach these goals. This is what, what, what life is, what it's all about, um, achievements. Um, and, um, and take your time, relax, the next goal will come up for sure. And uh, he was absolutely right. So I said, okay, yeah, that's a good explanation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that I don't have a goal anymore. And a couple of months later, uh, we had the next idea, right. uh, the next mountain in our mind. Right, it came to you. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it, 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 yeah ideas comes like, like that. But you can't push it. I feel not like, really. Yeah. No, no, not, not at all. It, uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, um, targets comes uh, comes to you in climbing, mm -hmm. and uh, you can't f you can't force it. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you know Kurt Albert was a, a mentor of yours, and and he he passed away in the mountains, although uh, not necessarily in the way you might expect. Mm -hmm. um, they they suspect he had a heart attack while on a via ferrata or something to that effect is no that it's not right uh, oh, okay. he made a mistake in his uh in his uh belay device and uh so he was uh guiding a VF, uh, young kids uh, on a via ferrata so super mm -hmm. easy he has done that uh, thousands of times and normally he's doing that without any protection and uh, so but he wants to be a role model uh for the young kids so he had a, a sling with a carabiner with a locking carabiner and uh so they, they 
they, they climbed and they had to wait um, because in front of them uh, was another uh, group and so they, they got stalked and so mm -hmm. just um, Kurt Albert was set back in, in his in his in his protection in his in his uh, security and uh, and then what we imagine happened um, was that this link, the connection, uh, just uh, opened the, the the locking carabiner. He didn't lock, right. and um, uh, unclipped. Right. And so he was falling down from there without any any chance to to grab to rest. The, right. If yeah. he leaned back. Yeah. Just he was tumbling. because he was he was just leaning back, and it happened in the second. Oh. And uh, so it was not a hard take. It was nothing. You know, it was oh, okay. definitely his fault not okay. using two. Uh, because the the curious thing is that when I was climbing the first time with Kurt Albert, he's a he's a chaotic. He was a chaotic guy, uh, but when he uh, put the first step in the wall, he was a, the most secure climber I ever met, mm -hmm. and um, and uh, he always teach me. Stefan, never trust a single piece, even when you have uh, uh, when you lose a lot of gear. Uh, always two protections. Sure. Don't repel on one single bolt because you never look inside. Right. And exactly this uh, was may, more or less uh, the reason why he, why he died. You because let your he, guard down. Yeah, yeah. because he, he was, um, he trusted just one single piece. Right. Um, the reason I bring it up, I, I was going to kind of just ask this, because I, I ask this to a lot of alpinists that have been in the game as long as you have. Um, and you mentioned also on the expedition in Patagonia, you know, times where you were near mm. near or thinking this is it probably we're mm. we aren't going to get out of here this time other people in your life in 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 passing and everything else you know dying in the mountains and looking back on that and and kind of um again the adventure aspect of what you do you know is it is it something that you think about are you sort of like i'm invincible or is it is it something that's on your mind when you go to these remote places and, and you're away from everything? Life is always connected with risk, and mm -hmm. especially in mountaineering and climbing. What makes climbing and what makes mountaineering and going on expeditions so attractive is uh, that you know there is a, a, a huge risk potential there. Mm -hmm. And the art of climbing, uh, the perfect art of climbing, is to minimize the risk level as low as possible. Mm -hmm. You know that it's there, and uh, with your experience, uh, uh, with your um, how do you say, with your eyes in front of you, you have to try to avoid the risk, to 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 see the risk, uh, and uh, to make the right decisions and to minimize the risk as much as possible. I know that I do definitely scary stuff, right. and um, but I'm not I'm not a crazy climber. So when when I was do uh, when I was doing all this solo climbing, I thought I. I can't die because I have everything under control. This was a mistake because I felt uh, once uh, more than 10 meters to the ground and uh, injured myself badly. Mm -hmm. But um, but I have to say, it's um, in climbing you 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 get through very intense moments, and uh, I, I think I am searching for these intense moments because uh, it's it's um, it's um, the biggest value in my life. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I'm a wealthy person, because uh, I was able to to get through all these moments and uh, good uh, good moments uh, and and bad moments, but uh, I never forget them, and um, this makes this makes life so so interesting. And uh, these moments are uh, so intense, especially in climbing. I think we're about done. Yeah, they're closing in on us. Yeah. But that's a great place to end, and I really appreciate you sitting down. Absolutely. We're, we're, they're, they're taking this place apart, so we got to close it up. But, All right. Um, it's been an honor talking to you, and it was, it was great, a great meeting pleasure. you. Well, thanks a lot, Thank Stefan. Thank you. All right, folks, thanks for listening. As they say in Germany... Danke. Real pleasure to sit down with the man, Stefan. Quite an honor to sit across the table from him. He was very gracious to do that under duress with the uh, construction going on around us. So if you want to know more about the Normacast, you can go to normacast.com. 
Or you can give me a call. Or you can corner me in a bar sometime. Get a couple pops in me. I'll tell you all about it until you regret asking. In the meantime, happy holidays. I'll see you next year. Don't forget to check your knot. 2016 is the year of the knot. I've just decided that. Old Town and Bow, Detroit's in dark.